Matt Aponte is an NLP expert. He helps entrepreneurs to become their best selves by using subconscious reprogramming. This episode, you will learn how by using NLP and self-hypnosis, you will become a more success-orientated person. Back in, I want to say it was 2018. Um, it was like 2017, 2018. I had um, a, what I call kind of like a midlife crisis not generally what people think of midlife crisis is like, oh, I need to go and buy a sports car or, you know, spend a lot of money on these things or trade in my wife for a 20 year old or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that. I, I uh, was parked. I pulled up to the office. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I've worked for myself since, uh, well, since 16, but uh, continuously since 2009. And in 2009, I set a goal um, to be at, uh, to, to be at a multi six figure, actually it was a million dollar company. Whenever I started the business 2009, I'm like in 10 years, this is going to be a million dollar company. And so in, uh, this was actually in June of 2018, in June of 2018, I'm pulling up to my office where I was working and, um, I looked at the date and I had this realization that I was coming up on nine years, because June 9th was whenever I started the company. I was just at nine years and I was nowhere near the million dollar mark for the company. And I had had a pretty tough week. And that was, you know, as they say, the straw that broke the camel's back. And uh, I had a breakdown. I, um, I started, you know, in my mind, you know, blaming you know, why, you know, everybody and everything around me, why was I not there? Why was it taking so long? I had a really good pity fest in the car before I went into the office. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I, and I cried and it was just really, it was a realization that I felt like I hadn't really, uh, accused anything because we had barely broken the six figure mark at that point. And it was just me and another friend in the business. So I, um, after kind of, you know, I guess transmuting that energy and just kind of getting through it. I had this epiphany that it's my fault. It's actually me. It was my fault. It's, I was the reason why we hadn't, uh, broken, you know, far past a six figure mark well into a, a seven figure valuation. And so that brought on a whole bunch of, because at that point I had been diving into human, um, human behavior, kind of, you know, figuring out, um, you know, what makes people tick, how it can help me and myself, how it can help the business. And so I had a realization that I was the problem. I was the, the thing that was keeping us back. I couldn't blame anybody anymore. And whenever I took that full responsibility on, I immediately felt empowered because I said, well, if I'm a problem, then I can fix me. I can figure that out. It's a hell of a lot harder to fix someone else than it is to fix your, uh, yourself. So I started, excuse me, I started um, researching, you know, more into, you know, um, hypnosis because I had been learning about limiting beliefs and stuff like that. And so I started doing some, um, some hypnosis and I started going back into my old, you know, programming um, of, okay, well, if I'm the one and I started looking at old profit and loss reports over the year, and I started seeing this, 
this kind of like our, our income would go up and it would hit a ceiling and then it would come down and it would go up and it would hit a ceiling and then it would come down. And it was just fascinating to see this trend and it would increase a little bit every year. But over the last couple of years, it stayed around the same area. And so I remember reading this book and uh, gosh, um, I think it was, it was uh, how to become a millionaire. And I forgot the gentleman's name. I wish I could give him credit right now because it was an amazing book. And he talked about how everyone has a, a pre-programmed income ceiling. And it all has to do with your belief system, how you were raised as a child, what were the things that happened to you as a child, what's your relationship with money, so on and so forth. And so I started diving deep into that, and that just kind of naturally led me to NLP. And what was really funny, you know, things happen aligned for a reason. I met a, um, uh, I went to an event, a networking event. And I met this um, gentleman called, uh, his name was Dave Evans, and he was from the UK, actually, from uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. And he was one of the, um, one of the original uh, purporters of NLP way back in the 70s, 80s, whenever it was starting to kind of pick up what we'll call mainstream. And so I reached out to him, you know, I went up to him afterwards and talked with him and and uh, long story short, it turns out he had a, um, an NLP training program that uh, he invited me to. And I went through from there, but that was kind of the epiphany moment and the, you know, the little bird seed or rabbit hole that, that led me to NLP. And what was the business you were running for nine years that you ended up kind of becoming disillusioned with? So I started out as a photography studio because I love photography. And um, then we got into video production. So at that point, we were doing mostly video advertising and um, and online digital marketing, essentially, at that point is what it, where, where it was at. And then, uh, sorry, got a frog yeah. in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> so and once you did this course from Dave Evans, what did you do after that? Were you kind of like, right, I'm shutting down this this video agency and I'm going to start practicing NLP or teaching people how NLP works. Actually, no, that's the, that's the amazing thing. So his, uh, it was a, a, th- a four day training program and it wasn't available until a year later. Um, so until then I started putting myself through certification courses for hypnosis and practicing everything that I was learning on myself creating my own self-hypnosis scripts and understanding how affirmations really work and how they're really supposed to be done. So I did that. And then at the end of 2018, what's funny is we landed our biggest client ever to date. 2019, we doubled our income. 2020, tripled our income. And 2021, we did the same. And so what was amazing is, is that, and then in uh, the beginning of 2021, I realized how powerful this was because when you really get into it and you're building the business and it's growing, you kind of forget a little bit of all the things that really led you there. And at the end of 2020, I remember on New Year's, I was reflecting with my wife on just what an amazing, you know, last two years it had been. And, um, and so, oh, and I hit that 1.3 a million dollar valuation mark with the company as well. And so I uh, 
was sitting there and I was like, man, you know what? I've always had a heart to teach and help people. And I had been doing kind of like digital marketing, advertising, consulting on the side um, up and for maybe a couple of years prior to that. And I decided, I said, I'm going to, I need to be a business coach. I need to be an NLP business coach and start, you know, um, helping people. And so I started that at the beginning of 2021. Um, and then at the end of 2021, I loved it so much. I left the business. I signed it over to my partner and I've been doing that full time ever since. So in that year between running the business and kind of doing the course, then you said that you were doing self-hypnosis and and studying NLP and and doing like self-talk. And I know that talking to yourself is something that a lot of people don't do. And if they do do that, it's mainly negative. They're normally saying, oh, I'm so rubbish at this or, you know, I'm so rubbish at that. So I wonder if you can talk me through what the process of self-hypnosis or just talking to yourself was like for you. Like what were the affirmations you were saying? Yeah. So the first thing you really have to do is you have to understand how much negative self-talk we actually um, engage in with ourselves. So about anywhere, the numbers range from 89 to about 96 percent of all of the thoughts that we have every day are the same thoughts we had the day before. And then anywhere to about 60% of those. So again, the amount of thoughts we have on a daily basis, which is really irrelevant, but I think it's fascinating, are anywhere between 18 to 60,000 thoughts a day. So most of those between 80 and we'll say 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday. Now of those thoughts that we had that are repeating about 70% of those thoughts are negative. So when you look at the majority of the thoughts that you're repeating and cycling, right? Every day about you're having anywhere between you know, 30 to 50,000 thoughts every day that are in some way negative or limiting. And the thing is, is that unless you're hyper aware, and that's one of the things I teach is hyper awareness, unless you're really hyper aware of the dialogue that's going on in your mind, you don't even notice that you have those thoughts. Mm. So the first thing, the first step is to understand, holy crap, you know, I, I want to make more money or I want to get a better uh, career or have a better opportunity or I want to attract the love of my life or whatever. And, but whenever I think about it, you know, I just had a thought that's like, yeah, but you know, I, I should just be grateful for what I have. I need to just settle or, you know what? I, I, I I'm probably not going to get a job that pays me 80,000 a year when I'm making 40,000. Right. And so the thing is, is we rarely ever notice those things um, or we'll see a commercial, you know, that says, um, you know, hey, you know, go, go back, earn your diploma and a new degree in six months online. And you're like, ah, that's not going to help me anyway. when you flip the channel. Right. So those are the things that happen consistently throughout our day. So we first have to be aware. It's just like, you know, I always kind of like to use this um, this analogy is alcoholics can't begin on the road to becoming sober until they admit that that they're an alcoholic. Mm. So until you admit that you're just downing yourself all the time, every day, 
you're not going to be able to identify and then begin to do what you need to do. And so what you need to do is take a, a journal throughout the day and identify, you know, and then you can even prompt your subconscious with certain questions. And so one of the practices I like to take my clients through is, is pick something that you really want to um, improve in your life. You know, so we have health, wealth, love, relationships, and those are kind of like the main key areas. And so in those key areas, there's always one thing where we want to, whether it's money, whether it's our love relationship, whatever, pick one of those. And then in, take out a piece of paper and write down what are the thoughts that I have about myself when it comes to wealth, right? Or what are the thoughts that I have about myself when it comes to having an amazing mate or partner, right? What are the thoughts about myself when it comes to my confidence, okay? So pick some of those areas. And what you'll find is when you write down and, and, um, through uh, a psychoanalysis, it's very important they've understood to write things down because there's so much complex um, uh, uh, motor skills and functions that go on with our body that it's really hard to trick yourself when you're doing it. So when you write these things down, you're going to get an answer before you're done writing them. Now, the key here is to pay attention to what that answer is. So we'll get that answer either through a voice in our head, which is you know our voice, a picture, a feeling, an emotion, a guttural reaction, whatever it is. Now, most of the time, we're so conditioned that we'll just kind of push, oh, well, that's not what it is. Of course, that's not what it is. I, of course, I want to be wealthy. Oh, I want to be wealthy, right? Because consciously, you're like, well, of course I want to be, well, of course, well, my thoughts are I want to be wealthy. But subconsciously, you got that nudge, oh, that'll never happen. Or, oh, you know, I could never make that much money. Or, oh, you know, I should just be happy with where I'm at. Or, you know, whatever it is. So when you write down those questions, be really uh, attentive to the reaction that you get and then capture that and write it down. And you will be amazed at what comes out when you write this down. Sometimes it's a little disheartening for some people, but the thing is, is that once you have what I call debugging the system, because we are no more than computer programs, okay? And I don't mean that in kind of like a literal sense. I mean that in the way that our subconscious works. Mm. So we are literal computer programs. And if we want to update our software so that way it works with what we're trying to achieve now in this I'll call matrix, right? Well, we have to update our software, right? So back when we were, you know, born or seven years old, 10, 13, whatever it is, because between zero and 13 is when we're, our programming is created. So if we had, if we lived in a poor upbringing and, um, but we were told, Hey, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to live like this then that person will probably go on to be successful. Or if you were raised in a poor upbringing and they were like, hey, you know what? This is as good as you're going to get. You don't deserve anymore. Well, that's the programming that you had. And maybe you'll just continue that generational curse. So once you identify by what I call debugging your system, by doing that question and uh, an answer pro process, you take the statements. So let's say, you know, um, what are my... Uh, what are the thoughts about myself when it comes to 
making a hundred thousand a year. Okay. And let's say the response was, I don't feel like I could ever make that much money. Right. Or I don't think I need that much money. Okay. So you take that and then the affirmation for you, right? Because it's easy to go online and get all these kinds of affirmations and all this other stuff, but you need an affirmation, a positive code overwrite, which is what I like to say. You need something to overwrite your code that's specific to the glitch that you're having. So now you know where the glitch is, you know what that old belief is. So then you flip it and you make it positive. Okay. So instead of well, I could never make $100,000 a year, or I don't have the education to make $100,000 a year, or I'm not capable or whatever, then you would write, I am, okay? And it's very important to start with a couple different words. So I am is the most popular. I am creating a life where I make over $100,000 a year. I make $100,000 or more. And so it could take a couple hours, maybe a couple days, But when you go through this process, you're going to get those affirmations. Once you have those affirmations, now you have the positive code rewrite system for your specific subconscious mind. And so then you can create your own um, self-hypnosis tracks. You can have someone create a self-hypnosis track for you. Um, You can speak those in a positive way into a recording and play them back into your, your mind. You can write them down every single day on a piece of paper in the morning, in the evening. There's a lot of different ways that you can go about doing that. And I'll go ahead and break there just in case you have any more questions, but that's kind of how you really get to it. And I always emphasize, nobody ever asked that question. And the only reason why is because nobody knows to ask that question. So I like to emphasize that process because that is key to making sure that you're overriding um, and reprogramming the things that are specific to you. So the process of reprogramming, that looks like, you know, obviously writing the statements, recording them and all that kind of stuff. But going forward and, you know, reaching quote unquote mastery level of self-hypnosis and and deprogramming and, and sorry, reprogramming, what does that look like for you? Are you still doing the same things or does it like progress to a, to a higher level? So what you'll see when you begin on this journey is, is that we are like onions. And when you begin to peel back an outer layer and let's say you fix that, quote unquote, or rewrite that, then your subconscious begins to bring other things to the surface. And so what you'll find is, is that you'll experience almost a kind of never-ending process of, of, uh, reprogramming or reformation or, um, you know, improvement. And the reason being is because you have been programmed from the time you were in your mother's womb, they can actually prove now all the way to 13, you're still malleable from the ages of 13 to 25 and 28. Okay. That's why some people, they send their kids off to college And they come back and they're a completely different person, right? And so in essence, there's about 25 to 28 years of your life of potential um, limiting programming. So, you know, if you started like I was in, uh, I was like 38 or whatever, 
then, you know, you overcome some things and you're doing good. And then something else kind of smacks you in the face because your subconscious is like, oh, hey, you can handle this now. And so there's so many things that we suppress or repress and everybody's different. Depends. Maybe you had a good childhood and you just had certain things. Maybe you had um, a really uh, traumatic childhood. And so you have a lot of things, but the subconscious will release and bring certain things to your awareness when it knows that you're able to, um, when you're able to handle it. A lot of people like to call that shadow work, right? The shadow work never ends. So for me, um, you know, I've been doing this now hardcore for about from since 2018. And so we're going on actually just past, well, going on four years now. Um, And for me, I am finding limiting beliefs, but at much different levels. So for me personally, I'm on a, I'm on a much different journey as far as like a spiritual journey and deep diving, um, plant medicine, psychedelics, stuff like those kinds of things. And so I've noticed that for me with my limiting beliefs or things that come up that I'm working on now, um, they're all kind of tailoring towards this next chapter of my life that I'm trying to push through. And so do you constantly do this? I've been doing them almost every day for four years. Um, and so what you'll find is, is that, you know, cause we always want to be growing, right? Nobody ever hits a plateau and says, Hey, I'm there. I made it right. You could, and that's fine. If that's what you want to do with your life, that's completely up to you. But most of us, once we get a taste of that progress and forward movement, we continue to grow. And as you grow, you'll hit new areas of your life that you've never experienced. And those new areas or plateaus or levels of your life that you've never experienced in some way, shape or form will be tied to something in your past. And so you'll, you know, but I do tell you, it gets a lot easier as it goes on. So it's part of like your daily routine. You said you could do it in the morning or in the evening. When do you tend to do your self hypnosis? So when I first wake up, so when you, cause this all goes back to the brain waves um, that we experience throughout the day. So when we first wake up in the morning, we're coming out of a sleep, hopefully a deep sleep. So we're in a Delta wave brainwave state, the theta brainwave state. And as we open our eyes, because there's light or whatever hitting the outside of our eyes. And so that sends a signal to our brain Um, our pineal gland actually to begin to create and produce um, serotonin. And so whenever we begin to feel that serotonin coursing through our brains or our body, it begins to shift our brain waves into the alpha state. Now, alpha is most notably um, associated with the meditative state. So throughout the day, if you sit down and you go into meditation, you'll slip into an alpha state and sometimes a theta state. Well, What's so great about the alpha state and the theta state is, is that you're in what's called a suggestive state of mind. And so what does a suggestive state of mind mean for those who might not know? A suggestive state of mind means that someone could say something to you and, hmm, maybe I'll think about that. I'll consider that. You can be suggestible. Whereas if you're in the full beta brainwave, that's a very analytical state of mind, which is for, for about 15, 20 minutes. Everybody's different. When we wake up, we're in alpha. 
then we get into beta. And when we're in beta, we are in a very analytical state of mind. Okay, I have to do this. I got to do that. Um, these are the things that I need to do. You're looking at a truck outside and it's red. Your brain is like, okay, that's a red truck that matches with what I know. Boom, we move on, right? That's a very you know, archaic example, but that's exactly what happens. So when we're in a beta brainwave state of mind, it's very hard for us to learn anything new because we are not suggestible because it, in order for us to understand or learn anything new, it has to pass through our analytical mind mm -hmm. and then into our subconscious mind. So in the morning, when you're in that alpha stage, that's the best time to read your affirmations, do your hypnosis, um, listen to yourself uh, saying these things back and forth to you. Same thing in the evening. When you start getting sleepy and the sun goes down, your pineal gland triggers and switches from the serotonin to the melatonin. So that starts shifting your brain waves into um, the alpha brainwave state. And so just before you go to bed, you're sleepy. It's best then to, you know, journal, write them down, listen to them, put in your earbuds, listen to your, um, you know, your self-hypnosis or whatever it is. And that is the, the best time um, when you're most suggestible. I like that. And how do you pass that same knowledge on to entrepreneurs and make it something that's usable and that works for them? That's a great question. So I've worked with entrepreneurs now for quite a few years. And one of the biggest things, biggest challenges that every entrepreneur has, and I would say over, well over 90%, um, is that whether they realize it or not, they have an income uh, ceiling gap. Or, or income ceiling programmed. Because if they do like what I did, and you go back and you look at your profit and loss, you look at your past, okay? If they had set a goal and they hadn't hit that, whether it's an amount of clients, whether it's an amount of money, whether it's, you know, what have you, if they are having challenges hitting that, then it is due to some sort of limiting uh, programming that you have in your system. So for entrepreneurs, the challenge usually is accepting that, right? Because you're, anybody can be an entrepreneur, but if you were born and bred as an entrepreneur, like many of them were, and like I was, my dad was an entrepreneur, business owner, you have this, um, just this ten tenacity, to, to just bull through things. You jump off of the cliff without a parachute and you build it on the way down. That's just how it is. You take risks. So you're used to pushing through things. So it's challenging sometimes to sit there and say, hey, the problem is you, right? Because you, well, yeah, but look, look at all of our clients. They're not, you know, staying with us or so that's something with our product. We have to do a better product or, you know, uh, this and that and the other, because there's, if you're, you know, if you're successful or if you're not successful, or if you're at least keeping track of your business, there's a lot of things that you can look at to be like, man, that's not working. And then you're pointing out there, but when we re, you know, I'm going to get a little esoteric here, but whenever you really begin to understand that, and this is one thing that NLP really teaches you, 
that we create the world that we live in. We are in total control of our existence. And the reason being is because we only take on opportunities or see things that our reticular activating system allows us to see. So we have like a filter essentially because our eyes take in our senses, actually all of our senses take in anywhere from being two to 20 million bits of information, like actual bits um, of information every second, but we only process or actually um, perceive about 480 to 600 bits of those millions every second. So if your limiting belief system or your subconscious mind does not believe that you have opportunities in certain areas, those opportunities could literally come into your office and sit across your desk and you won't see them as opportunities because your reticular activation system does not see it that way. So when you begin to understand that, okay, when I start to work on myself and I start to rewire my programming system to see more opportunities or to that I need to see the opportunities that, that are going to get me closer to whatever the goal is that we set and you start working on that, you'll begin to see that things just seem to begin to fall in your lap for some people because you're like, oh my gosh, I, 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 you know what? I wanted a partnership or collaboration with this type of company. I didn't even realize that my best friend is on the board of that type of company. You know, I'd never saw it before. And then we start doing these things. You're like, Hey, and you reach out to your best friend. And he's like, you know, I was wondering when you were going to call me that kind of a thing. And that kind of stuff happens. And so as an entrepreneur, one of the things we have to do is we have to slow down first. We have to slow down and take an accounting because I know not all entrepreneurs are this way, but I know I was, and I know 99.9% .9 of all the ones I've worked with are, we wake up in the morning, we hustle, we go, and we work, right? Because we want to achieve our dreams. All the whole reason why we became entrepreneurs is because we felt we could do it better ourselves. We want to build our own empire. We want to build our own wealth. We want to do it on our shoulders, on our merits. And so we're going, going, going. So we have to slow down first and look around us, see what's working, see what's not working, dive into what's not working, and then look within ourselves to see if that's potentially our, and I say potentially because I'm just being nice, um, our problem because it always is. And then whenever you identify that, um, hopefully any of the entrepreneurs that are listening, like me, it was empowering because now you're like, oh, now I know how the game works. And if the game is 99% played within me, then I can play that game better than anybody else because now I can understand how it works. So I'm not sure if that answered your question, but if it, if it didn't, feel free to, to ask another. No, it really did. It kind of opened up my mind to the thought of, you know, once you master yourself, then you can master the world around you. And I feel like entrepreneurs go out there and they think, oh, I'm going to take over the world with whatever I'm doing, you know, whether it's marketing or, you know, sales, anything in general. They're like, yeah, I'm going to take over the world with that. But how are you meant to take over the world if you don't have control of yourself? And I think, you, you know, you said your own life is kind of a testament to your learnings. You said you, you never worked for anyone else in your life. You said, you know, from 16 till now, you've always worked for yourself. And I'm wondering what those businesses were. And, you know, if you've 
done all your your NLP hypnosis work now, what business back then do you look at and go, oh gosh, that was my limiting belief there, or that was the reason why that business didn't work out how it should have, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, with the exception of from the ages of twenty three to twenty five, I worked for myself. Um, it, in those spans, I've I've always had a side business, um, but. At the ages of 23, I moved to New York. I had an ex-wife um, and up there, I couldn't really uh, start my business over. And so I ended up working in sales in the medical industry, but um, I always did my photography on the side. I would shoot weddings and events, stuff like that. But you know, it's funny you bring that question up because the very first business I started was a window cleaning business. So we lived in a small town in North Florida um, here in the U.S. and um, I, uh, I, a friend of mine in another neighboring city, you know, said, Hey, you know, I'm doing this, I'm cleaning windows and I'm making bank, you know, you should learn how to do it. And I was like, heck yeah. So I went over there and spent a week with him and he taught me how to do it. And, um, I was, it's funny because I've reflected on this actually just recently at the age of 16, within about six months. Now, mind you, this was I was 16, so 79, 89, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95. So this was in 1995. In 1995, as a 16 year old, I was making just north of $3,000 a month cleaning windows. That's a lot of money for that, a 16 year old. <laughs> that's great money for a 16 year old. I don't know any, if many 16 year olds making that without a rich father behind them. Yeah. In 1995, mind you. So what's that? That's probably, you know, double now, who knows with the rate of inflation. And I was, and I, and I, it was just easy for me. Like I would go out, I'd get new clients, I'd clean windows. It was just easy for me. And I sold that business at the age of 21. And, you know, I remember going back and thinking not too long ago, actually, just within a couple of weeks and, and reflecting on why was that business so easy for me? And the reason being is because I was just told, hey, if you do this, you're going to make a lot of money. And I said, okay, I'll just do that. It was so simple. I didn't have, you know, another decade of limiting beliefs or experiences, failed experiences to rewire my, uh, my belief system. You know, I was just, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur and he was doing good at the time. And, you know, I told my dad, I said, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And he's like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. He's like, I'm sure you'll do good. You know? And, and I did. So it was really simple because I didn't have any of those limiting beliefs holding me back. Mm -hmm. Now, when you move forward, you know, so really quickly I've had, uh, 14 businesses over the course of, you know, I don't, well, I'm 43 now, so I'm not really good at math. So, you know, of those years and <laughs> it would be just under uh, 20 something years, 27 ish years, I think. Yeah. Okay. So I've, I've, I've had 14 businesses and 10 of them were utter failures. Um, and three of them, I still run on the side and manage today. And so, and that first one, one of those four was that very first business that I started. And you know, so through all that time, um, there was a, another business where, you know, we had investors of almost about $100,000. And this was in um, two, 2006. 
Um, so this is through 2006 through 2007. We were starting a um, credit card processing company. And that business would have been massively successful. I mean, people, I actually, at the same time, um, uh, there was a friend of mine who was starting the same type of business. And I don't know, about six years ago, we touched base. I was talking with her, seeing how she was doing. And she was, she is, she stayed with it. And she is a multimillionaire right now, like a multi, multi-millionaire credit card, you know, processing companies and agencies have always been because it's very passive income. So we were like, I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to do this. And we got the investors, we got everything together. Um, but then I ended up getting kicked out of my own company. Uh, I ended up getting kicked off of the board of my own company. And the reason being is, you know, and I don't know if this one was so much a limiting belief, but it was, I knew a little too good, too much for my own good. At that time, I was 28, I was about 28 years old, 29 years old. Uh, no, I was about 20, 27, 28 years old. And I was, uh, you know, pardon my French, a cocky SOB, you know, because up until that point, I had uh, had some successful businesses previously. I always had really good ideas. I knew how businesses run. Um, and, you know, so I'm a 26 year old, you know, getting investors. And so then we brought in one of the investors ended up being becoming a partner. And he was a 62 year old, very successful business owner. And I thought I knew more than him. And so that business I know would have been very successful had I learned the quality of humility, right? Of just listening to the wisdom around me. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, one of the biggest things through most of the businesses since about, um, since about 20, 27, 26, 27, because it was just, you know, if one business didn't work out, I'd jump into another one. And what would happen is they would end up going, starting to make money, and then they would either fail or I would give up because they didn't make money fast enough. And that was a self-sabotaging mechanism that would happen. I would give up on it. That was my self-sabotaging mechanism. Um, and the reason being is because in the past, I was able to identify that with something that you know happened to me as a child where I wouldn't finish things. And then if I wouldn't finish them, I would get in trouble for not finishing and following through. So I had this reverse association with finishing things. And so I'm like, well, if that's what I do, I just never finish. And then also my programming was, hey, you're probably not going to make you know a million dollars with this anyway. So you might as well just give up. And so to kind of answer your question, that was really the um, the, the limiting belief that had sabotaged most of them in the past. So you had that as kind of like a, a through line through your whole life. It's like, oh, I don't finish things anyway. So what's one more thing unfinished? It doesn't really matter. But you, you said that you had a friend that kind of gave you the business plan or you know the business model for the window washing company. And I'm wondering, where do you find or get your business ideas? Because, you know, to have 14 businesses and, you know, however many failed, however many works doesn't really matter. You know, you're getting business ideas from somewhere. Are you using like a, a book, a magazine? Have you just got a guy that just feeds you business ideas? Like, where do you come up with, with your business ideas? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I've never been asked that question, um, but I know exactly how to answer it. And it's not a, it's not a fantastic answer, but I've just always been able to see opportunities. I've always been able to identify, uh, you know, where, Oh, Hey, I could, you could do this and make money. Right. Um, one of the businesses was, um, you know, whenever we were, um, my brothers and I, we were big into radio control, you know, cars and airplanes and stuff like that. And I was just like, man, you know, these things are really popular. What if we just sell them ourselves? And so I started researching and that's when I got into drop shipping, you know, so I started a drop shipping company for about a year. Um, and I've just always been able to see with the credit card industry, I was, sometimes I'm in a good position where I'm having a drink with somebody or coffee or talking and they share something with me. But to answer your question, they either just come through, I'm able to spot something and be like, oh my gosh, that would be a great idea. And then I just pursue it. Um, or someone says something like this guy with the credit card. He's like, man, you wouldn't believe how much money we're making with credit card processing. And a light bulb went off in my mind. And I'm just like, oh, do tell. <laughs> and you know, he told me enough to get me pointed in the right direction where we you know, were able to get everything in line to do that. But you know, they just kind of come to, even to this day, I, I have to, uh, about three years ago, I started this, what I call my little black book of big ideas because I'm constantly getting ideas. But what I learned because I would start things and not finish them or start things or give up. What I learned is that nothing will be a success unless you see it through and you stick to it until the end, because just on the other side of the biggest challenge you experience is also your biggest success. So I'm like, okay, but I have all these great, great ideas. I don't want to uh, lose them. So I started this little journal of, you know, called my little black book of big ideas. And every time I get a great business idea, I'd write it down. I write it in there. And it's actually sitting in my chest over here on the other side of the office. <laughs> I should well, dig that open. I was going to say, one day you should just sit down and just read that to me. And I'll, I'll take notes and we'll, we'll collab on something together. We'll start business number 15 <laughs> or 16 or however many it is by then. So <laughs> when these ideas are coming to you and, and all that kind of stuff, how do you decide which ones to act on? Because I know for me personally, I've had so many business ideas over the years from from a young age, from about eight, nine years old. My mom had had me thinking entrepreneurially. And I remember the first first thing I wanted to do, I wanted to make like a, a, a poncho that you could fold up and make all these things and do all this kind of stuff with it into a hat, into this. And then I found out it really existed and it really gutted me as a child. But then what I came to soon realize was, there's competition and competition is a great thing because those people are really stress testing the market for you. They're making all the mistakes so you don't have to. And you can, you know, depending on how much visibility you have into, into what they do, you can mm -hmm. learn from their mistakes. So I'm curious what business ideas you've chosen to act on and, and why you chose to act on them. Like what was the thing that stood out about it? Well, so you mentioned something that I really want to touch on there because a lot of people have that, they'll have a great idea. They'll have a great thought. They're like, man, I want to do this. And it kind of lights them up and they start doing research and they see that someone else is doing it. And then they kind of give up. Well, if you ever need to know how successful 10, 20, 30, 50 people are doing the same thing, walk down the water aisle in your local grocery store and see how many different variations of water that there are. And they're all being bought. So 
I remember uh, actually my wife reminded me of that, that we, we learned um, not too long ago, as a matter of fact. Um, so that's one thing. There's always a market, right? And competition is healthy and you can always uh, find a niche, what I call, well, not what I call, um, I, th- I believe it was Robert Kiyosaki. I'm not sure the blue, the blue ocean, you know, theory, you can always find a sub niche in a niche that hasn't really been, that has less competition, but because there's so much in the, the main niche, you know, that that sub niche is going to be, be successful. So just wanted to drop that little nugget there for your listeners. Um, so how do you, cho- how do you know it's the right, uh, uh, idea? Well, you know, first of all, you have to ask yourself, and this is the biggest thing that I always kind of help people with, especially when they're new entrepreneurs and they're trying to come into leaving a corporate job or whatever. At that point, they're always just like, I hate my job. I hate work, working for my boss. I want to make money for myself. So their driver at that point is money, right? Is independence and money. So that's fine because that's the fire that's going to get you going, but you need something that's going to keep you going. And so I'll share an example um, of whenever I started my business in 2009, the photography business that turned into video production and kind of went on for, you know, 13 years. Um, So I woke up one morning, um, I was on food stamps. I had lost the the part-time job that I had because I injured my my lower back. Um, I was three months behind on rent. I was shopping at the dollar store or the dollar uh, tree. For those of you here in America, you know what that is. Um, and I, I was in, you know, I don't know if you can say this. I was in really crappy. I was going to say shitty, but I, you, you can really... swear, Matt. Do it, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Speak freely. You, you did quite well <laughs> earlier censoring yourself. I was thinking, should I tell him you can swear? I was like, yeah, you can swear, man. Listen, we're, <laughs> we're, we're talking to people here that are people that are trying to change the world or just trying to, you know, improve their lives and people speak how they need to speak to get their point across. So <laughs> okay, you're, okay, good. You're good. living in shitty times. I was in an extremely shitty effed up situation. I always say it was the epitome of a country music song because I had lost my wife because I found out she was cheating on me. So we went through a divorce. I lost my house. Shortly after that, I had both of my cars repossessed. I, then I tried to pick up a part-time job, had a part-time job, found an apartment, um, couldn't pay the apartment because I lost my part-time job, herniated a disc. And then I was just selling everything to, to just try and keep from getting kicked out. And I ended up getting kicked out and having to live on a couch for a while. Just before I ended up getting kicked out, though, about a week or two, I woke up in the morning. I had developed an addiction to pain pills because of the, the pain that I went through from herniating a disc. And so after popping about 1,500 milligrams of, of codeine-coated uh, Tylenol first thing in the morning, I was sitting there on the edge of my bed and realizing how shitty my life was. I was just like it can't get any worse than that. And I said, I'm like, it can't get any worse than this. And as soon as I said that I had an idea (laughs) and I was like, well, if it can't get any worse, then this is a great time to do whatever I've wanted to do to start my own business. Right. Because up until that point, I was doing this part-time commission only job and I was working 50, 60, sometimes 70 hours a week to only make 200, 250 bucks a week. So I was like, well, damn, 
I've been shooting photography at this point since I was 16 years old. I love, you know, shooting photography. It's something that I love to do. And I said, you know what? I've tried so many different things up until this point, and I've tried to chase the money. Maybe I should just be doing something that I'm passionate about. And so I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, I met someone, I shared them and she was willing to actually loan me the money to buy a camera and, and I ended up paying her back. And, but that's how I got into starting my photography business. So what that has to do with choosing your, um, the right business is you have to, in some way, shape or form, it has to be right for you first. Okay. So you have to have some kind of interest in it, not just a passing interest. You have to have some sort of passion, right? Because that business, and I was right, photography, which turned into video production, which turned into digital advertising, which finally led, you know, 10 years later to having a 1.3 million valuation on my business. But I stuck with it because I loved it. I was so passionate about it, right? And so I started other businesses on the side and kind of funded other things on the side. And some of them took off, some of them didn't. But the point is, is that if you choose the right one that is for you, what's going to happen is when the money doesn't come right away, and most of the times it doesn't, you're still going to keep doing it because you like it, because you're passionate about it, because you wake up in the morning and you, you think about it, right? Because if you're just take that initial spark or explosion of, I just need to get out of my freaking job because I hate my boss and I need to make some money. After a while, that's going to die down. And, and you're going to be left alone, you know, like I was many times chasing the money and, and your passion and your drive burnt out, which was also one of the reasons why I jumped through so many businesses. And so number one, is it right for me? How do I know it's the right business? Well, how do you feel about it? Right. Are you interested in it? Does it kind of spark you? You're like, man, this is really cool. You know, maybe I could get some secular education to support this. So that way I could become more of an expert in this or what have you, right? The second thing is you, you want to look for competition, okay? Because if there is no competition, that means that nobody's buying it. <laughs> and so many people will go into business and they'll be like this. I have the million dollar idea. Nobody's doing it. Aha. And they go in and then they end up flopping because nobody wants to buy it or you're just ahead of your time. And I've done that before too. We started a business about uh, with QR code, digital business cards about five years too soon. <laughs> and so is it the right time? Is it the marketplace? If there are other people doing it, how far along are they in doing it? Try and find out how their business is doing. Um, are they making money? And if they are, good. You know, so if you have some healthy competition of successful businesses that are doing it, that's great. You know, that's wonderful. Um, you know, and then then you know, so those are really the two things. And what I always like to say is, how much money can you make in this idea with the least amount of work? Now, that's something that not a lot of people are going to tell you because becoming an entrepreneur is the hardest darn thing you're ever going to do. It's just hard. Some people, you know, like you, it seems like you were doing it at a young age. Some people like us, you know, are bred to do it, you know, so we, we don't know what it's like to do anything else. And, and we would have nightmares thinking that we have to go work for corporate America again. Right. So that's our only route. But for some people who have been, you know, raised, they went to school, out of, you know, school, college, they've been working in corporate America. 
they have to understand that this is going to be the hardest thing you will ever do because it will test your will. It will test your patience. It will test any skills that you have. You're going to have to wear all of the hats. You're going to have to build whatever it is that you're going to sell. You're going to have to sell whatever it is you're going to sell. You're going to have to market whatever it is that you're going to sell. You're going to have to provide customer service for whatever it is that you're going to sell. You're going to have to teach the people to use whatever it is that you're going to sell and so on and so on and so on. And unless you know you have backers that want to come in that have the experience that you don't have if it's something big and you can get investors that you can trust and you have the right legal paperwork in place and they have the expertise in the areas that you lack that's a smart way to start a business too so but i always say how much money can you make with the least amount of effort because passive income is the only type of income that is going to lead you to wealth. That's why some of the most, you know, most successful people in the world, they all have multiple streams on average. It's like seven or more streams of passive income. You know, they build a house and they rent it out. That's passive income. You know, they do different things, a subscription service or whatever it is. And people pay every month for it. Netflix, right? You know, so if you can create a business in some way or take something and put a spin on it to where it could become passive income, that's where the gold is going to be. And that's where, because every person, especially there's a lot now, especially here in America, I don't know how it is over there, but here in America, it's, you know, over the last, you know, since COVID year or so, it's called the great resignation. And there was like 40, 50 million people that have just left their jobs, mostly in the healthcare industry. And and it's, but it's not only the healthcare industry. So if you're coming out of corporate America and you want to do something or build wealth or make money, passive income is great because you have to think of why you left where it was that you left to begin with because you wanted freedom. And that's the big thing. So you don't want to get yourself into another job where you are creating a slave business for yourself because it's easy to do because you can work 80 hours a week for yourself and make a lot of money and still not be happy because you don't have the freedom to be with your kids because you're always working on your business. You don't have the freedom to spend with your family. You don't have the freedom to go travel because you make just enough to pay the bills or so on and so forth. So my suggestion is find a way to develop a passive income because the only reason why you're here to begin with is so you can have the freedom to do what you want. Perfect. And on the note of, you know, having passive income and building a business that you feel that, you know, works best for you. I want to know, Matt, what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? Helping people unlock the true potential of themselves. That um, is what gets me out of bed every morning. Um, you know, for me, it's not only changed the course of my business, um, it changed the course of my life. It changed the course of my marriage. Um, we were on the verge of divorce and by taking responsibility and saying that I was the reason why everything in my life was going wrong and then saying, okay, well then what is it? And looking into fixing that through self-hypnosis, positive affirmations, NLP techniques, um, you know, the gambit, um, subliminal messaging. 
I was able to reprogram myself to be the husband that I needed to be, to be the leader that I wanted to be, to be the best friend that I wanted to be. We don't have any children, but now I'm an amazing uh, uncle, you know, to my, you know, my niece and nephews that we spend a lot of time to. Um, And so being able to help people to do that and where they're just like, wow, you know, my life is changing before my eyes. That brings me the most fulfillment. And, uh, and that's why I'm still doing it here today. Where can the people find you online? Okay. So real easy, mattaponte.com, M-A-T-T-A-P-O-N-T-E.com. You can find me on Instagram where I spend most of my time. Um, I despise Facebook, so there's no sense in finding me there. Um, but on uh, there, I am the Matt Aponte. And then also on TikTok, I'm the Matt Aponte. Um, and yeah, there is actually something that I would like to promote. We just came out of a beta phase. So I have, um, I'm also a certified sound therapist, hypnotherapist, NLP therapist, and visualization. We didn't touch on this, but using the power of visualization to visualize what it is you want to achieve is extremely powerful when it comes to reprogramming your subconscious mind and, you know, manifesting or bringing things into your life. And so uh, about six or eight months ago, I began working on something where we merge VR, virtual reality, and sound therapy, subliminal messaging, and uh, hypnosis all together. So that way it's a very powerful um, subconscious reprogramming and priming process. And we just came out of the beta phase, the 21 day beta phase, we had a group and the results have been amazing. And so the page is up. You can go to mattaponte.com and look for, it's called the MVP programs, which stands for mindset video power, where you become the MVP of your own life. And, um, you can go and sign up for the waiting list and we're actually going to be, I don't know when this is going to be published, but, um, we're actually going to be launching here in about, um, actually the beginning of, of June. So June 1st will be the launch date and um, it's extremely powerful. It's only eight minutes in the morning, eight minutes in the evening and um, the effects uh, that it has are amazing and very quick. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 